My name is Kristen Hoff, and I am very thankful to be here with y'all tonight. I'm married, and I have two boys, ages 11 and 9. So this summer, I have spent policing Nerf battles, judging wrestling matches, um, and there was one day this week that I escaped to Target just to keep from hearing a burping contest. So this room of women is fabulous. I'm very glad to be here with y'all. As you can tell, my boys love competition. Um, and really, as people, we all enjoy competing and getting awards. Look at how many awards ceremonies we have on our televisions, from our movies to our music. Everything has an awards ceremony. And usually, the bigger the award that you win, the more likely you will give a speech that thanks those that have brought you up or encouraged you along the way. And I would also be willing to bet that you will remember the person who wins the award and not the people they speak about during their speech. So Hebrews 11 is commonly looked at as the heroes of faith. It's kind of like the who's who of faith. In it, many men and women are noted for their acts of faith. One of the characters from the story we're looking at tonight is in Hebrews 11, but probably not the one that you would expect. Look with me on your verse sheet at Hebrews 11:32. It says, and what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So the name I want you to notice on that list is Barak. He is recognized for his faith in battle and that he was made strong out of weakness. But he had an encourager along the way to help him reach his full potential, and that was Deborah. So last week, if you were here, Lynn taught us about Jezebel. I think if she were to win an award, it would probably have been for most notable female villain. She was infamous for her many evil deeds and that she influenced those around her for evil. Deborah is who we're going to study tonight, and she also had a role of leadership and influenced those around her. But she, unlike Jezebel, had a heart for God, and she wholeheartedly sought him, and it is her love for him that influenced those around her. So Deborah's story takes place in the book of Judges. The period of time in Judges is a very up-and-down period of time. When the Israelites were moved into the Promised Land with Joshua, God commanded them to get rid of all of the inhabitants and not to make any covenants with them. The Israelites did not listen, and as Joshua's generation passed away, they became intermingled with the inhabitants of the land, and they adopted their gods as their own. Look with me at your verse sheet at Judges 2, verses 12. It says, And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Astroth. 
So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. So once God allowed them to be taken over by a foreign group of people, he would raise up a judge after they eventually called out to him again. During the life of the judge, the people would typically remain faithful, but after the judge passed away, they would go back to their old ways and drift away from him. Each time this happened, the Israelites would drift further and further from God. So turn with me now in Judges chapter 4 and follow along as I read. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipideth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So chapter 4 opens with the Israelites again following away from the Lord after the third judge, Ehud, had died. They are now under the control of Jabin, the king of the Canaanites, and more specifically his commander, Sisera. Sisera controls a large army that consists of 900 chariots, um, and he has cruelly been controlling the people of Israel. When Israel calls out, he gives them Deborah. Deborah is the fourth judge of 12, and she is the only woman. The other thing to note about Deborah is she was one of the more faithful judges. As the Israelites drifted further from God, so did their judges. So if you read through the chapter of Judges, the judges are not always as faithful. The fact that she was a woman is a big deal as well. This is a period of time when women were not valued in society, but God saw Deborah's value and he uses her. As judge, Deborah sat under her palm and she would resolve issues from people as they traveled to come and see her. Now, back then they didn't have cars, so this shows the trust that the people had in Deborah. They would have had to take several days' journey in order to get to her in Ephraim. Ephraim was about in the middle of Israel. So no matter what they did, they would have to walk or go by donkey in order to get there to her. This would have had to have been something that they knew they would get good and beneficial advice when they got there to her. We also learn that she is a prophetess. She is one of only three prophetesses mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, and the, as a prophetess, she would talk to God, listen to him, and then relay the message that he gave her back to his people. Look with me at Second Peter on your verse sheet. Second Peter says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God uniquely qualified Deborah to judge his people. And Deborah intimately knew God. And it was because of her relationship that she had with him that she was able to lead the people in the way that God wanted. Let's pick up back now in verse 6. She 
She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Gadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with him. So here's our first introduction to Barak. He was probably a well-known military leader among the Israelites. Deborah summons him to tell him of the command that God has given her. Now, I don't know if you noticed at your tables, um, but different versions may have worded verse 6 a little differently. In the ESV, it asks a question as if Barak should have already known what Deborah was calling him to ask. If you had an NIV or an NASB version, it said more as a statement. This really comes down to how the original Hebrew text was written and then how it was translated. The better translation of that should have said or would have said, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go. So it was meant as a statement, not a question. Now, to be honest, Barak's initial answer was not one that I would have thought would land him in the hall of faith. Um, But... He does then agree to go, and he is obedient to the Lord's calling. Um, And for me, it's encouraging to see how God uses people, even with their flaws. So the text doesn't say why he puts his condition on going, but he does. Um, And Deborah doesn't hesitate in answering, yes, I will go. She immediately says, I'm in, I'm going. Deborah willingly follows God's plan. She called Barak into battle, and when asked, she arose and went with him to help call up his 10,000 men. The condition that Barak puts on going into battle does not go unnoticed, and Deborah prophesied that because of his conditional answer, Barak would not have the glory of killing Sisera in battle, but that a woman will instead. Read with me now, starting in verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Herosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day that which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Hagoyim, and the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. In verse 12, we see that Sisera has heard that Barak has mobilized an army. Now, the time of year that this has taken place, 
um, was more than likely the dry season or the summer months. We can know this because the river Kishon is fed by several small streams and springs. During the summer months, it would be almost totally to completely dry. Um, and around the area of Herosheth, which is where Sisera would have been coming from, it would have been a mere trickle. The other thing that we know about the river Kishon is that when it's dry, it's a big, deep trench, probably about 20 feet at some of its deepest points with no water in it. The soil around the river is also very soft. So when it's wet, it's very sticky and boggy. Sisera was a good soldier. He would have known where he could and he could not have taken his chariots. He would not have risked taking his men into a battle that they could not have won. So it would have had to have been the dry valley that they went into. And this would have looked to him as the perfect spot to have this battle. Look with me on your verse sheet at Psalms 20. Psalm 20 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So Sisera trusted in his chariots, but the Israelites trusted in the Lord. And at the beginning of the battle, Deborah goes up to Barak, and she encourages him with the promise that God has already given him. She reminds him that God has promised him victory. Now, again, in the ESV, it's written as a question, when instead it should be more of a statement. It would better read, behold, the Lord has gone before you. So picture with me what this might have looked like. You have Barak, the commander of the army, with his 10,000 men camped around him. Hebrews tells us that he was faithful, so I don't believe he was extremely fearful, but I do think he was an accomplished commander. So he was planning, trying to think, you know, what happens if we do this? I wonder, should we move this way? How do I encourage these men? How do I motivate them into battle? And then Deborah comes up, and she says, Barak... The Lord has gone before you. And with her words, she is encouraging him and telling him, God has the strategy. He knows what's going to happen, and he will take care of it. God is what encourages you. He is what's going to encourage you and your men during and before this battle. And lastly, she's reminding him that God is sovereignly in control. He has this already in his hands. Then you can hear the thunder rolling in the distance, and the sunny day turns overcast, and you can just smell the rain as the incoming storm comes in. This is my favorite part of the story. So what happens to dry ground whenever a torrential rain hits? It floods. If the ground is dry, that water sits right on top, and it causes a terrible flood. And that's exactly what happened. God sends an unseasonable rainstorm that caused flash flooding and renders Sisera's chariots literally stuck in the mud and washed them away. Deborah describes what happens um, in chapter 5. So we'll skip down with me to chapter 5, and we're going to start in the second half of verse 4. It says, The earth trembled, and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. And then lower your eyes to verse 20. 
It says, from, the, from heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. So she tells us that the heavens dropped water and from heaven the stars fought. Here she's acknowledging God's hand in the battle and how he gave them advantage. Notice that she says that the heavens and the stars fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. So we've already talked how Sisera would not have brought his chariots into the battle had he not had full confidence that he could win. Um, But God was there and he washed them away. Had the river been a torrent at the beginning, he would have never entered into that valley. So for me, while I was reading and studying this, it was really hard to imagine how he would have not known. How did Sisera just go in there blindly? But first of all, there's God. God is sovereignly in control, and he can do whatever he wants to do with his creation. Um, But really, if you think about it, we see this happening all the time. And it reminded me of a time when my husband and I went to the hill country. There is a state park down there called Pedernales Falls. If you've never been, it's gorgeous and you should plan a trip there today. Um, But the river itself is fairly dry and there's tons of boulders scattered all around. And in between the boulders, um, the water just kind of trickles through. And at certain points, there's huge pools of water where you can see the fish, you can go swim. Um, But one of the most notable things that I remember was as you walk down to the falls, there is a big, huge warning sign. And on it, there are two pictures. The first picture is a picture of the falls with families out enjoying the sunny day. You see kids running, um, and it's pretty. The next picture is of five minutes later. Five minutes later is the same spot of the falls, but all you see is an angry Uh, torrent of white water that nobody would have survived. And the warning of the sign is, this can happen with very little to no warning, so watch for signs. I imagine this is what the Kishon River looked like. There wouldn't have been much warning. God gave the Israelites victory with the storm. And the storm that God sent accomplished two things. It crushed the Canaanites, both physically and spiritually. Their god, Baal, was the storm god. So having been crushed by a storm would have been the ultimate defeat. And then for the Israelites, it is a reminder to them that their god, the one true god, is the one in control and not these imposters that they have been worshiping for so long. So the chariots and men that were left, um, that were not washed away quickly, fled back to Herosheth, and obedient Barak is at their heels, ready to take them down. Not a man was left in the Canaanite army when Barak and his army finished. It is in this moment that Sisera sees his ultimate defeat, um, and he runs in the opposite direction. He runs into the hands of Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite. Heber was an ally of the king, He is from the Canaanite tribe, and the Canaanite tribe has familial ties back to Moses through his father-in-law. So Jael would have at least known who the Israelites' God was, um, but I believe that she truly did know who he was, and she believed in him. 
Another thing to note about the women of the Canaanite tribe is they are the ones that put up and take down their tents as they're moving around. Um, so Jael would have been fairly good with a hammer and a tent peg. So read with me now in Judges chapter 4, verse 17. And I'm going to warn you, this is the graphic portion of our story. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenanite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand by the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the tent peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. And he was... Um, and so he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So Jael takes Sisera in, and once he lets his guard down, she killed him. And this fulfills the prophecy that Deborah had told Barak that he would not have the glory in battle of killing Sisera, but instead a woman would. So chapter 4 closes here um, with it telling us that the, after the battle, the Israelites do eventually go on to conquer Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. And then at the end of chapter 5, we find out that Israel has 40 years of rest, but after the battle is finished, Deborah leads Israel in praise to God. She beautifully praises him for the remarkable and miraculous victory that he gave them. Read with me in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And note the poetry here as we read. Then sang Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, on that day that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out of Seir and you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as mother in Israel. So all of chapter 5 is a song written by Deborah, but sang by her, both her and Barak. And again, I want you to notice the timing of when this song was sang. It was on that day. After the battle, she immediately went to God and praised him. Her song reminds the people of God's victory, and it reminds them of where they've come from and how the Canaanites had cruelly oppressed them. They were living in fear, 
and going in the byways, um, and their villages were not functioning as they were supposed to. And I love most of all that Deborah calls herself here a mother of Israel. Dr. Thomas Constable uh, says this of Deborah. Deborah saw herself as merely a mother in Israel, not a great warrior or even a prophetess, though she filled both of those roles. A mother is an unlikely leader of a successful revolutionary war, yet, De- yet God used Deborah to give new life to Israel and to nurture the conditions that would sustain her life. Wow, I love that. And I don't think that Dr. Constable was making little of... Uh, what a mom does. I think instead what he was doing was pointing out the humility in the title that she chose. After all, um, being a mom is a title that also comes with many jobs, and it is a job that never ends. Um, my kiddos, like the Israelites, typically choose rebellion versus obedience. So it seems like I am constantly pointing them back to God and pointing them back to Him um, so they can learn more about who He is. And the last thing I want to point out about this is from the text, we don't know if Deborah had any children of her own. Um, Being a mother is more than just the biological children you have. I have a mother, Um, I love her, she is awesome. Um, But there have been so many women in my life who have poured into me, and they have loved me, and they have nurtured me, some with children of their own and some without um, children at all. And I just love that we as women get the opportunity to love on others in God's kingdom. So now back to Deborah's praise. Look with me in verses 10 and 11 in chapter 5. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Her praise was not meant to stay just between her and Barak. It was instead meant to go out all over Israel. Those on the white dockies and the, white, uh, and the rich carpets make up the upper class of the Israelites, and those who walk by the way would have been the middle to lower classes of Israel. She also tells them to go to the watering holes. This would have been where they got their news. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have news. This is the place where the people gathered. And the, the fact that this is a song would have made it so easy to remember that history and to pass this on. Um, and I love that she had them do this. And they passed it on from generation to generation. Um, and we now have it for us today to study and learn more about who God is. Deborah was a wise leader who knew God and spoke his truth and used her influence to lead Barak and Israel to follow God. We are also called to be women of influence. Every day we have opportunities to influence those women around us um, with our friends, in our workplace, in our homes. Um, But how on earth do we do this? Um, And more importantly, the thing that worries me is how do I make sure that I influence those for good instead of evil or pull them away from the Lord? Luckily, we have women like Deborah in Scripture to point us in that direction. I think most importantly, to be a woman of influence, we have to know God intimately. 
This starts with seeking him every single day. We have to set aside time to spend time in our Bibles, and we have to spend time in prayer talking with him every day. Look at your verse sheet at Psalm 63.1. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And also look at Deuteronomy 6 right underneath it. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. When I was thinking of this, it reminded me of something um, I was introduced to when I first got married. When my husband and I got married, um, we were introduced to the idea of love languages. I have three boys in my house, with my husband included. Um, His love language is words of affirmation. Um, Unfortunately for him, he got stuck with a sarcastic, quick-to-speak woman. Um, So I have spent years trying to better my ability to build him up rather than uh, cut him down pretty quickly. Um, My oldest son is a quality time guy. He just needs to be near me. Um, His favorite thing for us to do together is he'll sit on one end of the couch and I'll sit on the other end, both with a different book, and we will not speak for hours. Um, And at the end of that time, he'll get up and be like, oh, mom, I had the best time with you this afternoon. It was great. Um, My youngest is a physical touch guy. And this is actually the easiest one for me to do because this is my love language. Um, And it's really sweet until we get outside in this 100-degree weather and I have this 75-pound kid just pulling on me and trying to love on me. Um, But I know this because these are my family. I spend every day with them. I talk with them. I love them. I get to know them. We have to do the same thing with God. We have to spend that time. He has pursued us, and we have to pursue him in turn. Deborah would not have been able to lead as she did had she not known the Lord intimately. Everything else that she did in her ministry hinged off the fact that she knew who God was, and she loved him deeply. We also have to be willing to step out in faith. Imagine how frightening it would have been for Deborah to go into battle with Barak. This was definitely not a place that a woman went back then. Um, It would have taken her away from her home, um, and it would have been a hard journey, but she didn't hesitate at all. Her willingness was then rewarded by her getting to see God's victory firsthand. We are also called to go into battle for God. Look at Ephesians 6.12 on your verse sheet. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle, and Jesus called us in Matthew to go out and spread the gospel to all people. 
Jesus also reminds us here in Matthew that he will go with us just as God promised the Israelites that he would go with them and that he would be with them. Um, And best of all, we have the promise and we already know that Jesus has claimed our victory. The Israelites went trusting God and knowing that he would, but we have that victory already claimed for us. Look with me at your verse sheet again at Matthew 28, and then we're going to read 1 Corinthians right after. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And 1 Corinthians says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something that is easy for me. Um, I hate it when I walk away from a conversation thinking, oh, I missed it. That was it. That's when I should have said something. Um, And then there have been other times when I've had conversations that I felt like I totally and completely blew it. I stumbled through it. My words didn't make sense. And I just leave feeling terrible. Um, And in one particular instance, I called my friend the next day. And I was like, hey, I'm so sorry. And she goes, no, it was perfect. That was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. And it's because it's not my words that matter. It's God's words that matter. When we trust in him and we lean on him, he gives us the ability to say and do exactly what we need to do at the right time. Like Deborah, we also need to encourage others with God's word. Deborah used God's promises to give Barak encouragement before the battle. We, again, have an advantage over Deborah. We have this. We have our Bibles. We have the word written down for us to study and look at. Um, I don't know if y'all are like me, but I also have the Bible on my phone. So I literally have God's words at my fingertips at all times that we can share and we can give to other believers um, to help them and give them encouragement. Several years ago, my oldest son um, ended up having an unexpected surgery and he had to spend a week at Cook's. Um, If you're a mom um, or you're not a mom, you can just imagine how scary and terrifying that was. That was not what we had planned for that day at all. But during that time, I had several friends that would text me during his surgery. Um, And then every morning that whole week, they would text me scripture. They would text me promises that they were praying over him. And that fear and that terror that I had quickly went away and it was replaced with peace and love. And that's because God's promises are the things that lift us up and hold us. Paul tells the church to do this exact same thing when they encourage one another. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 on your verse sheet. It says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Lastly, to be women of influence, we have to praise God for all he has done. And we need to do it in that moment, immediately when it happens. Deborah didn't wait for the war to be over. She waited until the battle was done. And when the battle was won, she immediately went to God and praised him for his victory. And I can see her 
in future years doing that same thing. I see her at her palm with crowds of people in front of her and her telling this story over and over and over again and reminding them and praising God for how he helps them through this. I am a very forgetful person. If I don't praise God immediately when something happens, I forget, and it may be a while before I remember. We never want to forget the good things that God has done for us. When we forget what God has done for us and the blessings that he has given us, we too, like the Israelites, can drift from God, and that would be a terrible tragedy. Deborah did not seek the acknowledgement of man. Instead, she wholeheartedly knew God and she followed him. It was by doing this that she was able to lead Israel back to God and that they were able to have 40 years of rest. What a legacy to be known not because she sought her own glory, but because she sought God's glory first. Pray with me, ladies. God, you are so good. Thank you for constantly seeking us and drawing us close to you, Lord. Thank you for giving us women like Deborah that we can try and imitate in our own lives. Lord, I pray that you will help me and help all of these women to be women of influence and that they may lead others to you. Help us to draw close to you. Help us to cling to your word um, and help us to use it to encourage one another, Lord. God, help us to see you move every day in our lives. And Lord, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.